Hello and welcome to another episode of the Kureria Podcast. In today's episode, we interview Joshua Gabriel Uluwashei, a 22-year-old Nigerian environmentalist, climate activist, storyteller, and Teen Vogue 21 Under 21 honoree. He's also the founder of Learn Blue, an international youth-led non-profit organization creating awareness and inspiring individual actions against global environmental issues that threaten our planet. I hope you enjoy listening to today's episode. Hi, my name is Joshua Gabriel-Lwashei. I am the executive director of Lemblu. I am on Teen Vogue as one of Teen Vogue's Unknown Under 21, and you're listening to the Career Rear podcast. Thank you, Joshua, for joining us today. Um, welcome to the Kuraria podcast. Thank you. I'm inspired by the work we, you do. And a bit, I did a bit of, well, we'll say professional stalking because I tried to find out more about you to make sure that I got <laughs> I got good <laughs> questions to ask you in this episode. Yeah. But I know that, like, <clears throat> I know a bit about your story and how you got into sort of the climate change space, but I would like mm-hmm. you to introduce yourself to us. Tell us a bit about yourself, what drives you, anything you'd like us to know. Like, who is Joshua Uluwashi? Hmm, that's a heavy one. Uh, thank you so much, Zulu. I can call you Zulu, right? Um, yes, you, you can. <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast. And I am Joshua. I hate talking about myself. That's a fun fact. But um, I am Joshua Gibral Uluwashi. Um, I am a Nigerian climate activist. I am a communications expert, and um, I don't know. I'm a, I don't know. I'm just an environmentalist, I guess. My journey, uh, yeah, I, I I am an activist who's been an activist since I was about 18, 19 years old. Um, obviously, I know you're gonna we're gonna get into how I started it, so I'm not gonna give too much away. But basically, I founded a nonprofit organization that is called Land Blue which essentially creates awareness around climate change amongst young people, Generation Z individuals specifically. Um, and for the most part, we try to inspire young people to found their own nonprofit organizations, to join movements, to lead movements, and um, and just make change generally. So I think that's me. Thank you for that great introduction. Um, I also hear talking about myself. I feel like whenever someone asks me, like, tell me about yourself, I go blank. Like, all I can remember is my name. <laughs> so you did a good job. You did a good job. Like, um, I did, I read a bit more about you and your past and, again, what got you into the climate change space. And one of the things that I noted in one of the many interviews and many features ah. that have been done on you ah. <laughs> was that you you had allergies to pollution fumes, if I'm not mistaken, and that's yeah. really what made you yeah. like sit up them, and think. Unfortunately. Oh wow! Oh well, but yeah. I, I think it's inspiring that even with those allergies, you found a way to like educate people about climate change, about air pollution, and about the effects that it has on not just each and every one of us as individuals on the world at large. And I love that you're focused on young people. If you know a bit about Kuraria, you'd know that that's like one of like our major pressure points. It's about um, bringing young people into the development space and into the development conversation and getting them talking about like the change they can create in the world, be even beyond the SDGs, because to be honest, the SDGs are ending in a few years beyond that how they can like make an impact you you said the SDGs are ending in like a few years which is obviously in 2030 and i'm saying that's that's absolutely right and we're probably going to get a new re- revised version of that again um that we need to look forward to so yeah um even outside the development space i agree yeah exactly and you know like the sdgs before the sdgs were the millennium development goals so <laughs> yeah so definitely i agree with you that there will probably be another revamp of it and stuff like that but hopefully it like each point or each target of the SDGs could be achieved to a certain extent and it would be great if like everyone could be achieved but I mean we'll see we'll see (laughs) but yeah basically what I was trying to say is that getting young people involved in in these conversations is so important and I love that Learn Blue is basically doing that trying to get young people involved in the climate change conversation getting them involved in campaigns and 
which brings me to like my next point, which was on a campaign that you ran, hashtag for cleaner nation. I hope that I got that right. Could you just tell us a bit about how you thought of the hashtag for cleaner nation social media campaign, what it was about, what you wanted to achieve with that? Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, I had founded Lemblu like uh, a couple months by now. I The goal was, oh, I want to create awareness about the global girls. I want to talk about uh, climate change and stuff like that. But I had I had this, like I said, I do have quite, I have a thing for media. So I'm often like doing interviews or like, you know, I don't know, just around people who work in, in TV. And so I was invited by a friend of mine to a, to, a, to, a, to an interview at, on NTA, which, you know, you're, you're familiar with as well, both Nigerians. Um, it was it was a show not related to climate change, just something about music. Um, and I and I had gone to a studio in Yaba in Lagos to go record that um, episode. And then as I was coming out, coming out of the studio, I noticed um, sort of this... Uh, what do you call it? It's like a canal. It's like, I think we call it canals. Yeah, it may not be grammatically correct, but like a, a drainage channel of sorts um, that had a bridge over it. Before and after the bridge, you had like massive amounts of like styrofoam polluted sort of deposited in this in this waterway, right? So it was it was it was essentially stagnant and it shouldn't be stagnant because you could see that it was channeling water towards some some direction. But because of the amount of styrofoam and by styrofoam for those who are listening, I mean uh what we call takeaway takeaway plastic. That's the one that's like foam. Um that's what we had there like yellow, orange, you know, different colors. Uh, and to me that was just an awful sight, right? Again, this was a very early part of my career as an activist. And so even then, I didn't know nearly enough as I do now about climate change and pollution, but I knew that that was essentially bad and that wasn't good. And, and, and I, did not, I did not like what I was seeing. And so I took a photo of it um, and I was like, oh, this looks bad. I'm going to do something about it somehow. And I left that photo in my gallery for a couple of weeks. And then I had another, I had a campaign with another organization, like something very, again, different from climate change necessarily. And then I was in, I was going towards Ikoyi, I think. And so I, I found myself, I was using public transport at the time. And so I found myself in uh, Obalende Market, Obalogun, I'm not sure. I think it's Obalende or the Underbridge or some, somewhere around there. Um, and I saw another drainage channel that essentially had, you know, plastic like this time in all forms you had nylon you had sachet water you had plastic bottles you had glass basically had a shit ton of permit me for using the word shit but we had a ton of uh non-biodegradable waste in this place and as you know if you've i think you live in lagos lagos is very busy and everybody's everywhere and everybody's selling something at every corner and so you had people selling you know buns and snacks and pastries by this journey insurance and for me it wasn't even about the fact that it was polluted it was more like this is a health hazard like it wasn't affecting me because there was no smoke there was no dust necessarily but it was a health hazard and, and i and i grew up in festac town which is very uh, uh secluded from the rest of lagos so you know, my experience wasn't rough, in quotes. So when I left the comfort of Festac and I was about 18, I'm like, this is new, this is wrong. And I, I decided to give photo as well. And then when I got home, I was trying to figure out the best way to approach this. What can I do that would be meaningful? And as a Nigerian and as an African, the one thing we know is you can hardly convince the older generation to do anything like you know the way we you know the way we treat culture and respect which obviously is a good thing yeah i cannot i couldn't talk to my grandma or my senior brothers or my cousins and say you know talk about climate change for example or even decide to begin sensitizing the, the market women um, about how this is wrong and so I yeah. said, you know what? I'm going to go on social media. I, I had worked as a social media manager at the time for, for a startup. And I said, I'm pretty good at I'm pretty good at social media. I'm pretty good at writing content. So why not go on social media and talk about this? Um, and so I made this tweet, um, which if you found it, then you really did some great job <laughs> for your research. <laughs> but I know it's still somewhere <laughs> on my Twitter feed right now. I made a tweet. Um, and I had said in the tweet something about, obviously, uh, the the impact. I mean, like a thread, sort of talking about how this was bad, but not just bad because climate change. Because most people don't care about climate change in in Nigeria. We're probably thinking about how you're going to get your next meal, or you know, um, how you're going to get to work the next day. Climate change is not at the at the forefront of our concerns. So, 
I yeah. made it more about their personal health. How does this affect you? You're gonna if there's a flood in Lagos right now, what happens? You're gonna have those uh, uh, plastics and those broken glass and literally anything sort of floats in the water and that could injure you that could transmit waterborne diseases you know there's just one million or one thing that could possibly go wrong with polluting your environment like that and so to my to my i guess surprise i asked my friends to help me retweet it these are people who um have a lot of following on twitter and they did and then it began to sort of pick up steam and people were like oh my god this is so true thank you for sharing this you know um this is amazing but, uh, again, as somebody who had a bit of an experience with social media managing and marketing, I knew that if I really wanted to push the conversation forward, we needed to bring it under a single banner that could, quote-unquote, trend. And so I had a friend reach out who said, um, oh, what do you think about us making this into, like, a, a clean-up campaign? Like, like, hey, if, you wanna, if, you're, if you're interested in cleaning up, you know, these places, uh, basically send me a DM or send Joshua a DM and let's do something. And, again... Even that went more viral. Like we had, I don't know, I think a hundred thousand uh, views on the Twitter oh, or something. Wow. But yeah, and for me at, at eighteen, that was a lot of people. It was like a hundred thousand people are seeing this. Uh, and and after the hundred thousand, you had over a hundred people who were physically able to come volunteer, and you had over a thousand people who were helping in donations and like buying materials to clean up. And I was just you know, stunned by the community that were generated. Yeah. And so I decided that we should brand the campaign hashtag for a cleaner nation, uh, hashtag for a cleaner Lagos specifically, because we had, I had worked with the Lagos state government during the election of uh, 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 the current government, go governor of Lagos state, the first election. And um, we had devised this hashtag for a greater Lagos, I think, um, for his campaign in 2018 or so, or 2019. And so I said, what is what would be better than than just sort of tapping into that already existing audience for a greater Lagos yeah, and yeah. do for a cleaner Lagos instead, and that was it, and and it just sort of stuck, and everyone was like for a cleaner Lagos, and then we made it into a thing, um, and you know before you knew it, we had like about I think a consecutive three week or so campaign where we went out every weekend to go clean up these places that were complained about um and also spoke with the government on how they can help and uh, uh do a lot of sensitization in in a number of uh, um, areas around lagos and it was such a massive success so much so that the government adopted the 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 hashtag for it in lagos from us so they made it into like an official yeah. Uh, a government program. Obviously, they didn't give us any credits because it's Nigeria, <laughs> but um, they made that into, they made that into a thing. And and to today, I'm very proud that we we're able to do that. Even though, again, you know, you never got acknowledged that it was young people like myself and a couple of other people on Twitter who started this movement. Um, but that's sort of the story. I know that was quite long. I'm quite. I'm such. I'm. The, I've got a thing for telling stories. But um, but yeah, oh, that's sort okay. of how it all went. Um, You're good. Yeah. Yeah, that that sounds amazing, and it's it's funny how like something that started off small with you just tweeting, just slowly grew and grew and grew into something this huge and impactful. So kudos to you, like fantastic job, and like even if no one else knows that you started this hashtag and you started this campaign, anyone listening to this call knows. So, but I like to know, like from you've spoken about this hashtag and like sort of your start in this activism and in this climate activism journey but like is that what led you to start learn blue or was there something else that sort of made you think okay i think that we need an organization that educates young people yeah that's the funny thing um lemblu had been existing before that actually um lemblu was already existing oh, i think wow, i found okay. lemblu yeah, I founded Lemblu like in March um, 2019. The campaign happened around like July, August 2019 to like October. So Lemblu was already existing for like five months at the time. And we're, and we're sort of still trying to figure out what we're going to do and, and how we're going to make impact. And so if anything, the campaign showed me that 
one of the strengths that we have as Generation Z individuals and young people is we use social media a lot. And so we can we can mobilize people using using social media. You know, Greta Thunberg, for example, when she started Fridays for Future, uh, she started it in front of the, in front of uh, the parliament in a, in a country, but it went viral because it got featured on social media and people retweeted it and it became a thing. And now we have millions of, of young people marching every year. So um, what the campaign essentially just validated that Lemblu could be a success for me, right? Lemblu already existed. We're already sort of building the brand and like websites. And, you know, um, I was already, I think I already had like a bit of a small team at the time. Um, so what Lemblu, what, what, what essentially happened was that was sort of our proof of concept that, oh, we can make impact. And then we piggybacked off of um, For a Cleaner Nation and then expanded that across you know, the Amazon fire situation in 2019, I think, as well. Uh, Mauritius Lawrence Peel in 2020 and and, and um, sort of campaigns like that. Yeah, thank you very much for that. And I love how you said that, like, using social media was sort of a proof of concept to show you that, like, okay, this is something that we could do and this is something that we could work on. Yeah, it was good. It was good to hear about your background, your story, um, what really like inspired you to start Learn Blue, to start these amazing campaigns that have made impact and to educate, as you said, the Gen Z audience on climate change and what they could, how they could create a change in that area. But okay, so this, we don't really do failures here. So I don't really like the word failure because I feel like it just like, I don't know, it's just, it's a dark word. What we say here is that maybe not so wins or not so great moments, but do you think that there are certain things that happened or that have happened on your journey as a climate activist, as the executive director of Learn Blue that I wouldn't say you would change, but maybe like if you could have, you might have avoided doing those things or, okay, let me put it like this. Like, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned from your journey, like as executive director of Learn Blue? Yeah. Ah, I miss the good old days when I was so I was like 19, 18 and I was like, oh I'm a 19 year old climate activist and um, I'm making change. And then there was so much freedom and and carefreeness where you know, because we're so young, we didn't have as much, or I didn't have as much responsibilities. And then I got into, you know, I took a gap year just so I could build Lemblu, by the way, um, an entire year off of school, which I don't necessarily regret. If anything, I learned a lot in that time. And I met some amazing people who are still my friends today. But I think my biggest lesson was, um, it's a good lesson, though, actually. <laughs> I just thought I'm going to make it a good lesson. But yeah, it, it's a good lesson. It's, uh, it's one, one was obviously that we can, Literally, anybody could do anything. Um, and in my case, since Lemdo was founded, we've never raised funds like externally. We've never had grants. It's always been it's always been like self funded. Or I've had team members from other countries who like chipped in. Um, so I am not from a wealthy home necessarily. Um, I am just you know quote unquote your average guy who happens to be pretty good at talking to people um, who use that gift or talent to inspire people around Nigeria to, to, to make change. Uh, but I think in terms of Lem Blues, and, and uh, I don't want to call them, they're not, like you said, they're not failures, maybe setbacks or regrets. Um, not regrets, that's even darker, but setbacks um, that, I, that I experienced would be, in Nigeria, generally, you have like one in 10 people. Again, this is not statistically backed, um, although I'm studying statistics, so I guess I could, I could say it is. Um, but there's like one in 10 young people who were willing to start a non-profit. I think one in three or four who run that non-profit for more than a year mm-hmm. and maybe one in two who like make it a thing for like over two years it's it's so stigmatized and so quote-unquote hard for a number of reasons obviously um so my setback was my 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 my, my lesson was that <laughs> the people were not for me and i had to very quickly understand that if i am to keep up with lembry if i am to keep being a change maker I need to quickly decide why I am a change maker, right? I needed to understand what it was that motivated me, which is why you've seen so many quote-unquote interviews or features of me where I talk about my allergies. It's not not because I want to be redundant and, you know, repeat the same story like it's a talking point. It's not, but that is why. I am able to keep Lemblu going. I I had a mental breakdown last year. I had a mental breakdown in 2021 and 2022, like back-to-back. It was massively draining and I have university as well and I have everything in between and I have adulthood um 
But because I know why I do Lemblu, why it's important, why my allergies are, are still prevalent, they, they still exist. So if I still walk out into where there's smoke, I could get my chest compressions and I could begin to cough very badly. I learned very early on to not, you know, stop. So that's a lesson I learned. Just this, defining your why at a very early age or a very early stage is important, right? Um, so that's not necessarily, again, like, like, like th- I'm thankful that the lesson I've learned is not necessarily bad. If anything, it's just, a, oh, that's a realization. One, uh, the, my, my, my immediate family, my immediate friends, you know, I lost a lot of them because, again, being an activist or starting a nonprofit is, is stigmatized. It's not something anybody's encouraging you to do, uh, especially if you would need financial support from your family, which, you know, it's like, why would anybody give you money to go do something that doesn't give you money? It didn't, it didn't make sense at the time. Now, obviously, everybody's a lot proud. It's like, oh, you're on Jim Vogue and you're on Forbes. Oh, you know, oh, that's our son. You know how it is in Nigerian homes. Like, well, that's my friend. I know him. He's, you know, he's speaking in some conference now. Um, so I learned that very early on. But if not that I had decided or I had understood my why, I honestly would have given up like three years ago and I would not, obviously I would not have connected with you or met you and you would not have found me and you wouldn't even know who Joshua is. I would have just like faded into oblivion. So even now that I've been through like a mental breakdown and crises, um, I I am able to say, you know, the world, is, the world isn't going anywhere. I mean, climate change is, is a looming threat, obviously, but there are other people around you who can take up this mantle and make the impact you're trying to make. So take time off for yourself, which is what I've been doing the past year, really, and rebuild and regroup and come back when you're stronger. Because um, otherwise, you're just going to burn out, and, and that's not that's not good for anyone. Yeah, you, you said a lot just now. And first off, I love that you said define your why. I think that is so important to keep any young person going because it's like a very frustrating. The development sector is very frustrating for young people. Like I know right now where I work, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm like the only person in my twenties and that's not to knock on the organization, but it just shows that like, it's first of, it's it's a very narrow path for young people to, to get into that industry. I mean, I think it was last year I was speaking to a friend of mine who was a consultant at the UN just after she finished um she just I think she just finished university in Geneva and she <laughs> she like she had to get a job if not she would like had to leave the country and she still wanted to like stay in Geneva so she got a job working at the United Nations one of the UN systems one of the UN bodies and she told me that as the difference between her working in the United Nations and her working as a consultant it was completely different because first off, the organization that she was working with, most of the people who were making the major decisions were cis white men, like <laughs> they were old and they were older too. So it was very frustrating for her, she's black she's she's from africa she's not she's not well she's british but like she's you know her roots are african she's um a woman and she's young so three things were going against her already (laughs) so it was very frustrating for her to work in that system and i remember her giving me the advice that oh if i do want to work with the un in the future she would advise that I'm older <laughs> when I go into that system because, like, my voice said more. And I don't, and like, and that's the reality of it. I mean, I would like to change that, <laughs> but that's the situation right now. And it also brings me to another thing I read recently on on LinkedIn again, um, where someone said that I think I don't remember remember the exact figure. Um, said. 0.7 or so percent of only 0.7 or so percent of youth-led climate activism is funded that's like such a low number so if you think about the funding alone that goes to young people and youth-led organizations you'll be frustrated already you'll be like oh, okay well this doesn't seem like it's working out so let me just like face what what can like pay the bills but you also want to help people. Yeah, that's, that's, 
that is that is so me right now. Sorry to interrupt. Like I literally I am in such a weird fortunately, right? I am I'm very fortunate. I don't even try to not acknowledge that privilege. It's not privilege, rather, it's more like again being fortunate and lucky. And I think privilege stems from like having access um that people don't have, probably because of like your skin tone or your family ties, but my family doesn't have those. So I had to create every opportunity that I've gotten and I've had to create access. Um uh but my, my my point is to, to what you're talking about with regarding bills, you know? Like, I want to be an activist. I just want to be an activist who speaks and who tells stories and who travels and who makes change. But it's not that simple, especially for people of color, especially for those of us who are African, who are Nigerians. Yeah. There is such a weird stigma with getting access to opportunities that I know a lot of friends abroad who... You know, why who I, who I literally like consult for I'm like, okay, um, you want to start a nonprofit, this is what you should do. And then two months later they're like, Oh, well, where can we Google now to like give out XYZ yes. to students? I'm like, how? <laughs> how? <laughs> I've been doing well, this how for many years. <laughs> so now I'm having to like focus on like getting an actual job. Um, because I I have like experiences across a number of industries, you know, tech. I've worked at Facebook, so now I'm trying to use that resume. I have like three resumes for like nonprofit and, and yeah, to leverage and get a job, and use the money from that job, the salary, to fund my activism and my change making. That's that's my reality now. It's like 2020, 2023, Literally, my my resolutions for the year, which I usually don't make, was get a job this month. I say getting a job. Uh, funnel that uh, salary from your job into your Lemblu and like a project Lemblu is going to run for the year and then amplify that and that's literally the goal because you know there's only so much change making that you can do if you want don't have a job or two, if you're in a system that doesn't recognize your voice and it's worse for women like you said you know being a, being a, being a woman than being a Nigerian woman it's like it's like something and it's pretty it's pretty wild yeah and as you said you you spoke about defining your why and i think that that's so important because we've spoken about how frustrating is it is like starting a non-profit at a young age or as a young person following through with that non-profit and not like giving up it's important for you to always think back and reflect and remember why you started something and i think that that's so important i think that that's a very really important point that you've given us so thank you very much for that joshua <laughs> okay so next question we've spoken about the biggest lesson you've learned and luckily as you said it wasn't necessarily a a again we don't use failure we don't use regret it wasn't necessarily a bad thing like lesson that you learned negative. yeah it wasn't negative exactly yeah. it wasn't negative but what would you say has been like your biggest success when it comes to learn blue because i see that you've done a lot you've achieved a lot Ooh. so like what do you think is like that thing that like maybe when you're down you're like yeah you have i mean you're telling me that you, you work with facebook you've done yeah. this you can't uh-uh please <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. I, I mean my success, my biggest success. Um whew, okay, I, I'm not sure actually. You see, the the problem is, I don't know if you've been there, but your brain plays a trick on you with imposter syndrome where whenever you one up yourself and you're doing better than you thought you could ever do, <laughs> then there is something and, and you know, like let me give you an example. To date, I think my busy, my sorry, my biggest success would be um, it's not even a success. Just some of my biggest accomplishments that I'm proud of would be obviously becoming a team vote in one of the twenty one. Like that that was I did not apply for it. You know, there is a different feeling when you don't apply for something yeah. and they're like, Oh, we recognize you. It's like you saw me? Like, how did you find me? <laughs> like I'm not that big, am I? So I got that <laughs> in twenty twenty one and 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 that was amazing. And I think that's something I always look back to where I'm like, Oh, Joshua. Team Vogue reached out yeah. to you. Like, that should count. And then this year, I think I, I was mentioned on Forbes in a Forbes article by, by the co-CEOs of Peace Fest, which is so mind-blowing to me because I didn't know that. I didn't even know they existed and they know my name. Um, and I think even more recently, I was I was in Russia, like, last month for a conference. Okay, Zulu, you would understand this, I think. As a Nigerian, <laughs> getting a visa to any country 
that is not in Africa or East and West Africa is so hard. It's so unnecessarily hard. When I... (laughs) When I became a, a, a team vote, um, not team vote, a global team leader in 2020, 2020 uh, before the pandemic, I needed to get a US visa. I applied twice. I didn't get it. And I was being invited for a conference as a change maker. And I couldn't get a visa. And this is this is why this is so this is such an accomplishment for me because the Russian one is there's like there is a 99.9% chance that you're not getting a visa. Actually, you're not even getting an appointment. Oh, wow. You know, because it's so hard. There is a war going on. Um <laughs> There was just so many things that are working against you, and then there was me, Joshua. I I, I was turning twenty two um on the on the nineteenth of November last year, and so on a day before my birthday, like I had seen a friend of mine, Aronima Sen, who she posted on her Instagram close friend story that she had been invited to this conference in Russia. It's all expense paid, you know, and so on and so forth. And I knew about this conference. I knew it existed, but again. I have never thought of reaching out to them because they, they didn't reach out to me. And I'm just like, why would I reach out? Like, who am I? You know, because till now, I don't still believe a lot of things that I've done. I'm like, was that really me? Um, and so she posted this and I'm like, oh, okay. I've never seen Arunima in my life before. We've never met physically. And so my plan was, if she could get invited, then if I reached out, they probably would, you know, I don't know, invite me too because we have very similar portfolios. She's obviously much more, uh, I don't know, influential than me she's she has a ted talk i don't but we're close friends we have very similar sort of uh, accolades together and i feel like if that was if it was sort of based on merit perhaps i would have been invited and so on the 9th of november 18th in 9th before i turned 22 i sent an email to the team organizing the conference saying hey you know i'm joshua yada yada um you know invite me to your conference um and i'm like if you're wondering why you should do that that's because you know i'm joshua and <laughs> that should count for something <laughs> and that was such that was such a bold step like i was just being bougie i'm like like do you know who i am <laughs> um and then i reached out and they did not answer me obviously um <laughs> they basically left me on red uh but then after i turned 22 i was like you know what What's the worst that could possibly happen? The worst that could happen is they're going to say no. They're not going to beat me up. They're definitely not going to kill me. So let's reach out to them again and remind them that Joshua sent them an email. And so, you know, I I sent an email and I said, hey, um, I'm here again to disturb you. I reached out before. You probably ignored me. So now I'm going to email. Like I, I got a new email address on their website that, that was very specific to speaking at the, at the conference. I'm like, I'm going to email this one and I hope somebody sees it. And then they finally responded. Long story short, um, in the space of, we had this, this, this was happening from like the 24th of uh, November and the conference was on the 1st of December. So Zulu, we had six, seven days, literally a week to one, write my speech, <laughs> complete the speech, because I was giving a keynote, which I did not even see coming. They're like, oh, you're going to give a keynote. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, cool. I have to do this. And and so I wrote a speech, uh, which was the most pressure I've ever been under in my life. Because it was such a big, it's such a big conference. There are going to be millions of people watching. I had no idea at the time, obviously. I was like, oh, it's pretty big. And so I wrote, I wrote my speech. And then I had to record it. And they brought in a team from Abuja to come to Benin, which is why it's cool, wow. to record me in a studio speaking which because initially i thought oh, at most what's come to us i'm going to be on a zoom call they're like yeah no you're not going to be on zoom we're going to record you in the studio i'm going to be on green screen and you're going to look great i was like okay okay that's good and as that was happening i then had a meeting with i then had a meeting with the team um and we're doing like this test for like english language proficiency they want to know if i could speak english which i'm like really <laughs> but we had, a, we had a call uh and we're like oh great you can speak good english great so we cannot bring it to russia this year because it's already late because now we had like four days to go um there's like it's already it's already pretty late um or five days i think but what we can do is we're gonna try to use all the resources we have at our disposal and get you here oh, wow never in my life have I seen, I think there's only one exception and that would be we are, we are Family Foundation, but never in my life have I ever seen a team sort of come together with such solidarity for an absolute stranger to bring this stranger who was 22 years old to Russia to give his, come, to give his speech. Like, it was just surreal. So even if I had not gone to Russia, right, the, the experience was already so fulfilling, I think. It reassured me that 
the work that I do was important and my voice was being heard. And if this team was making every single effort and pulling every string to get me to their conference, that means I'm doing something right. So I was I already made, made peace with like, if I don't get to be in Russia physically, that's all good. Et voila. A day on, on the Friday, like three days to the event, they're like, um, or four days, I don't know. They're like, hey, um, so we have a surprise for you. We got we got the government of Moscow to invite you Whoa. to Moscow. And so your visa would process like a diplomatic visa and you would get Whoa. it in like three hours and the same day. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, what? what? <laughs> and the Nigerian in me couldn't believe it's like you know i'm like nah that's like, impossible this, like they wouldn't really... that's is that is that possible like i was is this real life like is this happening like i couldn't believe it so i didn't tell anybody that i was traveling i told none of my friends in fact all i did was i just they, they sort of we i arranged like booked my flight to abuja and then I, I i arrived at abuja on a sunday and on monday morning i had the visa interview and on tuesday i was leaving the country at least that was the plan and so I was still very skeptical. I'm like, this is not possible, right? Like, you couldn't get a visa in one day. Like, am I dreaming? What is going on? And, and I was so anxious. I'm like, should I wear a suit to the embassy? Should I dress casual? They're like, no, just wear a short. You're good. And then I went, I walked into the embassy with a little short and just like, I had like, God, I had like um, my passport and a document of invitation and my application form, just three papers, three sheets of paper. And I submitted and they're like, oh, welcome. I'm just sitting now. We're going to confirm, yada, yada. Long story short, you know, they, they said, oh, you know, you're going to get your visa. Um, <laughs> um, and then I paid for it. And then I literally waited for like 20 minutes or less. And I got my visa. Like my passport, my passport got taken, it got stamped and it got given to me. And then I'm like, oh, I'm actually going to Russia. <laughs> and the next day I was in the airport and, you know, getting the, the plane and getting it. But so that's, I think that's my biggest, I think if anybody ever asked, that's my biggest success to today. It's just the level of, I don't know. It just reassured me in a lot of ways that I can do almost literally anything and, and my story is what you, what you have been told. And even getting to Russia itself, which obviously is my first time, that the experience there was also surreal. The team was so welcoming. So I literally was like a celebrity. Like <laughs> The team was like, oh, you're the celebrity of the conference. Like, what do you mean? Because everybody knew my story. Like, apparently, everybody who mattered had known about this boy from Nigeria the only Nigerian there, by the way, who wrote to them and said he wanted to speak. So it was so new to them. Like, that, that has never happened in, in the history of the conference and it's been running for like four years now. Um, but the problem with that is when I was in Russia, everything was great. I loved the experience. It was amazing people. You know, I gave my, my talk. We had about a million people watching. So mind-blowing, anxiety, everything. And then I got back home to Nigeria because I had exams. <laughs> Literally, like the day after I arrived in the country, I, I almost died. I was so jet lagged. I go back in Nigeria, and the next day I had a paper by eight AM. I'm like, "What on earth is going on in my life right now?" Um, and so I focused on my exams. And then after my exams, I had a I had a a wave of like depression, and the depression wasn't because I know you didn't see that coming, oh. right? <laughs> that was such a that was such a, that was such a time. I'm no, so sorry. I got pretty depressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because of um I I I had exams as a distraction. So I, I was like, oh okay, this was fun. I went to Russia. But it was until I had taken it I put my, my leg on the on the pedal on the brake and I was like soaking in what just happened. Like what on earth just happened? Till today, I'm still here to get over it. So I've not even reached out to the people whose business cards I collected. Because I'm like, I don't even know where to start. But um, I got depressed because my brain, I don't know if it happens with other people. I know it happens with a close friend of mine, Shay, where your brain tells you that you are not worthy of certain things and you don't deserve certain things. And it's not, not like it, not, it's not like it tells you, it, it doesn't tell you that directly. But because you've been amongst people who, quote and unquote, I've done less than you in terms of the impact that has been made. And they're, and they're not, it's not, it's not even, it's not envy. I promise you. In fact, I admire people like that. It's more like it just puts you in perspective of how unequal opportunities are. Like you're not on the same footing as them. And so when I was in Russia, I met a lot of young people who are doing amazing work. These are people who are studying nuclear studying um, nuclear energy. These are activists who are talking about how Africa can be powered by nuclear. Things that are mind-blowing, that are amazing. 
And then I'm like, and then they're like, oh, they, they admire me. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? And then I come back home. I'm like, I'm thinking back about that. I'm like, why? Like, why was I even amongst them? <laughs> like, why am I amongst these people? And why are we in the same mm-hmm. circle? You thought of like, did I deserve to be in this circle? You know? Like, I know they think I did deserve it. And in fact, they, they thought I'm amazing. Good for them. But like, personally, I just keep questioning, like, was it was I deserving of this? Um, and it takes a shit, I'm going to say shit turn again. Like a ton of like effort from my friends to be physically present to tell me, you know what, you're good. Like, don't overthink it. Because, you know, like, at least for me, the experience was I left the country not for the first time, but for the first time to Europe, to Russia, mm-hmm. in winter. So there's obviously that whole thing with, like, snow that Nigerians do. <laughs> um, I didn't do it, thank God. But, you know, that was, like, in itself, like, a, a whole experience, like, oh, my God, it's snow. It's, like, crystalline. Um, so there was that experience. And then there was the other experience of, like, you didn't, the, the Russia, and as, when, you're, when you're invited as a guest to a, to a place, you have a certain... Uh, reception that you're given you're treated with so much respect and so much dignity and so much you know you know all of that stuff and then you come back home and it's a stark contrast with like what you just experienced and you're not expre- you're not expecting home to suddenly become like glorious and glamorous but it's like what on earth just happened <laughs> it's like your country doesn't even fully appreciate the work that you do it's like i'm back in nigeria and immediately i just literally landed in the airport you just you're just like oh freaking hell i'm back home right so now i have to do what again <laughs> yeah but um enough of that talk but but basically my point my i guess my point was my biggest ac- accomplishment which was, which was the question so bringing it back around um is just my ability to <laughs> i don't know get into places that are not for me and some of those instances can be with becoming getting on Teen Vogue. I think I was the only African on Teen Vogue um, in 2001. And and this year also, or last year, the only African on Teen Vogue was also somebody who I nominated, which is just mind-blowing in itself. So getting access to opportunities that that gives me gives me the ability to open doors for others who might not otherwise have access to those opportunities, that is my biggest success. Being like the the network you know the the, the 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 uncle or the friend or the cousin you know in places you know that cousin who knows this cousin who knows that person who can get you that opportunity or that scholarship or that grant or that recommendation that's my success it's not one single thing it's not one event it's not one experience it's just a combination of like experiences and a combination of results from those experiences and how they help me alleviate i guess my community if that makes sense. It did, it does, it will, to whoever's listening. First off, I have a few things to say. First off, I don't like that you said not for you because those places are for you. It might not be, you might be the first person there, but you deserve those spots. And I hope that you keep saying that to yourself, Joshua, please. No to imposter syndrome this year. Like it's something that I've really battled with and it's easy for me to say, oh, no, to imposter syndrome to someone else, but it would be harder for me to say it to myself and hype myself up. But, like, honestly, you need to hype yourself yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, it you've is. Done, you've done so much. Like, honestly, when I was doing, like, when I was yeah. reading up about you, I was like, ah, what was I, what's going on, please? Who is this person? And why does he not, like, I don't know what I'm serious, Joshua. I'm not even, like, trying to hype you up or anything. Like, me, I don't know how to form. <laughs> I don't know how to, like, honestly, you've done so many amazing things, and I hope that you are proud of yourself, and that's, and it hurts me to see that, like, you're still, like, saying, like, that sentence, when you said, oh, places are not for me, I was like, no, no, we're going to stop that, this is not the place for that, you need to hype yourself, like, okay. you've worked hard, like, you, you've reached, <laughs> you did you not hear the story you were telling me about the campaign that you started just on a whim? How many people you impacted? Did you not hear the story? Please, when we're done with this podcast and it's published, you need to come and listen to this interview again so that you see that you're not to be played with. Honestly, I'm actually dead serious. Please, please, please. Like, I've not even done half of what you've done. I think, and, I yeah, think, go ahead. I think what's, what worries me is... It's not really worry. What downs me is, and I know this is general for everyone, I guess, anyway, but 
it's when you last year for example i started the year strong i was like oh my god this is my year i'm gonna do i'm gonna do i'm gonna yada yada and so i applied for x and y and z and i you know i i wrote the best stories i i rewrote the stories i i i spoke about the impact we've had which millions of people on social media i have people who joined my webinars and now they have their own non-profits in the u.s in nigeria literally one just got on table last year so i know the impact i have made i try to talk about that impact in these applications and then you get um uh we're sorry unfortunately uh we're so sad to tell you that your application did not make it this year because can you call like why <laughs> you know and, and and when you get one of those and you're like okay i'm good i can go and then you get two and then you get three and then you get four and then you get five and then you get six i'm sure i got like at least 10 of those last year and i was just like yeah i'm done so things like experiences like that just downs us and again it's not it's nobody's fault per se but i mean this this these programs or these scholarships or whatever they have quotas to meet they have diversity you know things to like meet maybe this percentage of men or this percentage of black people or what i don't know how it works but when it happens consecutively it's so it draining, is. which is why the experiences like me reaching out to these people for in russia you know mean so much more because it's just validate like every award i get i don't hype my like i, said, I don't hype myself em- enough i guess but i don't like literally a week after I got on Team Vogue, I'm like, oh, that was fun. Moving on. <laughs> Moving like, on. You don't want to celebrate and too much. Same thing happened with Fox, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I don't celebrate. It's like, oh, that was fun while it lasted. I gotta move on now. Um, so whenever I have the successes, it just gives me like this boost of energy. Like Joshua, you can do it. But when I get the rejections, which are way more than the successes, like way more, it just affects me so much. And it's not just me. I know a lot of my friends who deal with that. Where it's like, yeah, like should you even continue and again like which brings us back to the beginning of the conversation which comes back to your why you know because the amount of rejections i had last year and the mental breakdowns trust me lembler has been on the on the verge of being like like you know um ended if you will like a lot of time like oh do you should i just like stop lembler like should i just go build something else and now i'm starting the year feeling strong and i'm thinking i want to i want to resume work at lembler but even more i want to launch an entirely new project out of lembler and then sort of focus on that um that that's more that's more focused around maybe storytelling and things like that but yeah that's that's why things are the way they are zulu but i get where you're coming from <laughs> regards hype my, my friends have told me like hype yourself you know mark your wins celebrate your wins i'm like yeah i don't know about that no, I totally i'll try i will it's, try it's but process. i don't know but, but also as a nigerian there is this thing where if you get to if you if you get too excited about your wins i don't know like i care about people's sentiment but like there's way you get excited people will be like it's <laughs> i feel like that's another thing that's like <laughs> This boy, like I have a lot of people who I've never, oh, what? <laughs> like I've never met them before, and then when I do meet them, they're like, "Oh my god, I had a, I had a misconception about you." I'm like, "Oh, well, that's fun." <laughs> Would you mind telling me what that misconception? Because I, I have a very strict brand on social media. You may have noticed this, um, Zulu. My Twitter, my my LinkedIn, my Instagram—they are very. Firstly, all the usernames are the same. The brand is very strict. My bios are strict. They communicate the same message. I don't post what I'm doing for fun. I only post maybe when I have something to say. Every single Instagram post has a lengthy, you know, caption that talks about, that tells a story. Like, that's a brand of beauty. And for that reason, people presume a lot of things about me. And then they meet me and like, oh, oh, <laughs> okay. Well, that's not what I thought. And, and so, you know, that's why I don't get to celebrate a lot. Because those celebrations make people think, yeah, too, yeah. They're like, they're like, God, oh, this guy's too proud. And then they meet you and like, oh, he doesn't even, he doesn't even remember what he won last I totally understand. Yeah, okay, so we know about your biggest lesson, your biggest success, a bit about Learn Bloom, but could you just tell us a bit about like some of the events and initiatives that you do and you put in place? Do you have campaigns? Do you, like, how do you educate young people? Because I know that that's like the main focus of Learn Bloom. Yeah, um, events and initiatives, I think, we do a lot of things. I think one of the things that we've always tried to do is social media campaigns that are that are very, very tailored. Um, it could be... Okay, so most times we take like a trending conversation or a soon-to-be trending conversation and then we amplify that conversation using my team's social media savvy. 
right? So we understand how SEO works. We understand how algorithms often work. And so we try to curate content around certain subjects. It could be climate change. It could be gender equality. It could be Black Lives Matter. It could be anything, really. Uh, we try to create content or curate content around that and then push it into the world on occasion we may run advertising on it like if it's that pressing for example during the amazon fire thing in 2019 and i think during the mauritius fire spill in 2020 we did um two like major tweets and facebook facebook posts where we essentially wrote this story around the amazon fire and then that went viral on facebook and then we did something else on twitter and then that went viral and got thousands of people to sign petitions. So that also, the, the, the strategy we've always sort of used was, um, I think we called it before, educate, activate, educate, activate um, something and then iterate. And it was three, it was, it was like four things. So we, the idea was we educate people and then we activate them, like they should become activists or, you know, go study on initiatives. And then, um, oh yes, we petition, that was the other word. Then we petition and then we repeat. So it was sort of a four-step process. The way you've got like reduce, reuse, um, refuse, and recycle. So we do like a four-step process for every single campaign and event. However, for 2023, we're making a bit of a change where we're focusing more on storytelling. So we're going to be having a lot of, the plan is to have a conference, but pending when that it comes to fruition, uh, uh, the, the goal is to launch a project with called Anxiety, which was initially meant to be a podcast to talk to young people, especially in the climate space, about eco-anxiety. But now um, we're, we're moving that more into uh, a project that is focused on storytelling. So we're having webinars, we're having uh, uh, workshops where we bring together founders for social enterprises around Nigeria who would then help us, uh, or we will then help sort of with their storytelling abilities. So how do you talk about yourself or your projects in a way that gets your listeners hooked, yeah. right? And things like that. So that's sort of where we are headed mm, now. Nice. Um, nice. That sounds yeah, really I hope that answers the question. Yeah, it does. That sounds really interesting. And I, I can't wait to see, like I, like I said earlier, I think you're a great storyteller. Thank so you. it will be really good to see how that translates more into your climate work and yeah, I'm very excited to see um, what Learned Blue's future holds. And I think you sort of answered my next question, which was about like the plans for the future. Um, beyond like the storytelling, um, the webinars that you plan on doing, is there any other thing that we can look forward yeah. to when it comes to Learn Blue's future or Learn Blue's 2023, I guess? Yeah, um, I mean, Learn Blue, we have a lot in the pipeline, but I think <laughs> I have this thing where I don't tend to talk about a lot sort of what I what I have in my head for the fear that what if it doesn't happen and then it's like oh if it, you know it's it's easier to not fail when there is no when there is sort of no nothing to fail towards if that makes any yeah, sense yeah. right so um I think the most I would say is what we can what we're actually going to do is again these workshops but also we would be having uh the plan is to begin building innovative tools that would help mitigate certain impacts of maybe flooding and climate change. It's a very complex technical uh, uh, territory that we're trying to delve into with some partnerships right in the works. But again, I can't, I don't think there is much I can say about it yet until it's, you know, live and there's a product or something. Yeah. But yeah. Well, that sounds really cool. But yeah, thank you, Chizuru. <laughs> um, or the Zulu for. <laughs> Last question before I leave you, because I know our time is far spent. <laughs> oh, okay. Actually, two questions, then we're done. <laughs> so, could you just tell us um, how people could connect with Learn Blue um, and you as well? So, how can people get involved, one, with Learn Blue, and how can people get involved or connect rather with you? And then I ask my final question after you answer yeah. this. Okay. Yeah, the the word the funny thing I'm gonna say is as far as connecting with Lemblue or me, well Lemblue specifically, honestly, they should probably connect with you. <laughs> you guys should follow um uh Zulu on LinkedIn because Lemblue is gonna be hiring. So, we're not hiring. That sounds like we have money. We don't. Um, we're gonna be recruiting volunteers soon, um for a number of, <laughs> for a number of positions. So um I would be needing your help, Zulu, with like sort of putting that on your LinkedIn and saying if people want to come work with us, that's fine. Uh, preferably like people, young people within like 19, 18, 17 to like 24 or something. Um, but how you can connect with me personally, my, my social media handle is the same across all platforms. It's Josh G. She, for those of you who are Nigerians, you should be able to like spell that Josh, then G as in Gabriel, then She as in S-E-Y-I. 
or or let me let me tune my horn or just google me okay you know? <laughs> um just google my okay. name i think you should feel like a lot of a lot of reference points on how you can connect with me <laughs> <laughs> my goodness but yeah i think that's okay help. great okay i thought it was one question less for it's two actually then we're done i promise <laughs> yes final. okay first question before the last question what we always ask this um Kureria is an isoko word isoko is a tribe in delta state where my mom is from and where i'm from as well but it's a word that means change so i'd like to know what does change mean to you change means to me hmm um change i don't know in the beginning of the call i like bringing things back and sort of taking things full circle it's sort of my old storyteller stitch uh but in the beginning of the call you mentioned quite you know sparsely about how anybody can sort of make change and that's something that lame has embodied since its founding our entire motto or tagline is it begins with us change begins with us what that means is change can begin with you with anyone you don't have to be a non-profit founder you don't have to be a linkedin top voice you don't have to be you know a verified twitter celebrity or an actor or something to quote and unquote make change change can be change can mean changing behaviors that are more sustainable you know changing habits that are reducing your carbon footprints changing recognizing that you're you're privileged and you can do something about maybe gender inequality or gender-based violence or female gender mutilation so to me, change is essentially whatever action people are taking that directly or indirectly makes the world a better place. That feels very that feels very rehearsed, but I promise it wasn't. That's just what I feel like it is. Um so yeah. Thank you for that. I mean that that also, as you said, embodies what change means to us. And we're trying to show same with Learn Blue, young people, how they can create change with their small actions, with speaking to someone next door with picking up um, debts on your road, with making a conscious decision to be kind even to other people. So I, th I think that's a perfect definition of change. But now our final question. Yes, we've come to the end of the interview. <laughs> our final question we always ask our guests is to give us your top three recommendations. Now, your recommendations could be anything. So it could be a podcast. It could be maybe a motto that you live by now. It could be a book that you've read, a video you've watched, anything at all. So three things that you're loving right now that you think young people, like young change makers, should tune into. Yeah. Can I say Avatar? No. No, no, if you um, want. Yeah, hey, like, uh, I think I our know. last episode with Yasmina, she said the Beyonce's new yeah. album. So, hey, go for it. Oh, okay. Well, then. Well, I mean, if she says so. Yeah, I mean, Avatar, I don't know. I saw it, like, yesterday, and the story was pretty inspiring. It was just very, um... I know there's a lot of talk about it online, about it being negative and yada yada, but I think it's pretty good. Um, it's a very simple story. Somebody trying to protect their family. A man, or, yeah, a man essentially doing anything to protect his family, and then a community coming together to help make that a reality, right? That's people banding together in, in, in times of, you know, adversity, despite differences in their cultures and their race, actually. That's Avatar. Uh, another one, I think, for books would be I don't read books actually a lot. I'm not a, I'm not the biggest fan. But I think a recommendation I would give, not read books specifically, just sort of in terms of reading is, I do a lot of random research. So I go on Google, I know, and I just search for something about, say, I don't know, football or climate change or not, not necessarily educational, but I do a lot of like, I call it sort of literally internet surfing where I just search something on Google, maybe because somebody made a statement and then I, I learn about that topic so again it could be something as simple as you know what is uh what is career meaning like what's the meaning of that what's the history of that and then i jump from one more page to the next and like get into a rabbit hole of learning content um i think the third recommendation would just be social media i know cliche but you can use social media to honestly like make so much impact like you can use it to change the world Quite literally, like there are countries who use social media to incite violence. So why can we not use social media to organize for good? You know, like if you're using social media to, to incite violence in countries around the world. If you're blocking social media, that means you know it's got a lot of power. So if countries are going to be doing that, then young people can as well 
use it to organize movements, you can use it to organize protests, you can use it to to talk about something you're passionate about. Yeah, you can become a creator, you know, by just going on TikTok and saying, hey guys, so today X and Y happened in my school and I stood up for that kid who got bullied. Or, hey guys, I don't know, I was walking home today and I decided I would stop throwing plastic waste on the floor. Simple things like that. So social media can be very useful. I know it's got a lot of negative connotations to it, but if you're if you're able to sort of not be I mean social media shows you what you want to see. Like it's all algorithmic. So if your algorithm is focused on change makers, trust me, you would see that. Literally all I see on my LinkedIn is people who are getting scholarships every it's like, what is going on? Many anyone who's losing in life, like I just open my LinkedIn I'm seeing, oh, X was named an Ashoka change maker. Oh, this person is now <laughs> getting a Mandela Washington college. Like what is happening? Um but my point is it's all about that space. So if you're able to control your space on social media, you can use it to make change in the world. Um but I think with that that sort of sums up all I have to say for this podcast. Again, thank you so much, Zulu, for talking to me for over an hour. Uh, and to the listeners, so I'm probably going to get bored at some point. But if you, if you, if you do, just skip, skip, skip to the, to the, to the interesting parts. Um, but yeah, I'm so grateful for having this conversation. And you're such, you're such a gem. Thank, thank you, you for being such a vibe. Thank you for your time, Joshua. Thank you for speaking with me. Thank you so much, Joshua. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to learn more about Career, check out our website at www.careria.com and follow us on all our social media at ma.careria. Thank you for listening.